And now, Father, as we open your word, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher tonight, that he would give us objectivity, and that we would uh, grow because of what we hear, and, um, and glorify you in the days to come. And we'll ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Pine Valley Bible Church, we are committed to expository preaching. Um, we are committed to, like J. Vernon McGee, going through the Bible verse by verse, uh, in, in a way that makes uh, it easier on me, because I know what the passage is that I'll be covering this particular Sunday morning and, and Sunday night, and I know what passage I'll be covering next Wednesday night. In a way, it makes it a little bit more difficult and challenging, because if you, if you are committed to this particular ministry philosophy, you can't skip any of the hard passages. And that's one of the reasons why I, I have, uh, and Paul is the same way, that, that we believe that you should go through all the passages. And even if, even if some of them are a little more dicey than others, uh, even if you know that, that it may, um, there may be some of your friends or, uh, or associates within the church that are, are in the particular situation that the passage covers. Now, I'm not implying that so much about tonight's passage, but passages like this are a bit challenging, and they're challenging because sometimes we check our objectivity at the door. We're supposed to be checking our subjectivity at the door, but sometimes we check our objectivity at the door, and we, we think, well, he's talking about me. Well, I'm not talking about you, but if the passage is talking about you, that's between you and the Lord. But these, sometimes these passages are challenging, and, and uh, that's exactly why I take the J. Vernon McGee approach of going verse by verse throughout the entirety of a book, not skipping any passages. And in the, when we get to the fifth chapter of the first letter of Paul to Timothy, um, Paul in verses 3 through, the, through verse 16 speaks of how a church should deal with widows. And there's, there's a lot here. There's, there's this list that, that the Ephesian church apparently had where they would give permanent support to widows. And, the, and this passage is going to tell us what it took to get on this list. But if we were to look at the first two verses, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, to the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. If older women must be treated as mothers, as Paul just stated, and if mothers must be honored, as Exodus 20 teaches us, Deuteronomy 5, Ephesians 6, it follows that distressed widows must also be honored. Such widows, and these are widows who are widows indeed, verse 5, now she who is a widow indeed, who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God, and continues in entreaties and prayers day and night. These widows must be honored. And that is, they should be treated with high regard and with great consideration. And it also implies that those who are in need and meet the qualifications must receive financial support. So the term honored here means more than just to, to give them a salute or to say, hey, way to go, girl. It also means... It also means to, to help them meet the need that they have. Now, we're, we're, we are spanning about 2,000 years between the time this was written and the culture that we find ourselves in today. And true, widows are not in quite the same dire straits, at least not in large that they, by and large that they were in the time that this was written. But the principle still holds true. Back in the time this was written, there wasn't any such thing as life insurance, where a widow could be... Um, could, could lose her husband, not in the sense of we know where that husband is if he's a believer, but could lose his companionship and then have a certain amount of money 
that could come from an insurance policy or from a retirement policy, and that widow would be taken care of, even if the children chose not to. That wasn't the case back in the time that Paul wrote this. Uh, widows seldom were able to find employment, and if they did, it was usually at a very low wage, and there was no such thing as uh, an inheritance for many widows. For, for many widows, the inheritance went straight from the father to the oldest son. And so, granted, the, the exact cultural circumstances are not, not precisely the same, but the principles are certainly precisely the same. And what Paul is saying is those who are widows in the church, who are in one of the most vulnerable positions that they can be in, should, assuming, assuming they are walking in fellowship with the Lord, and assuming they take their ambassadorship for Jesus Christ seriously, those types of widows should be put on this permanent list. And there are some other requirements that we'll, we'll give today. But this is a timeless principle, even though some of the cultural particulars have changed. In fact, listen to what the scriptures teach about widows. Uh, in, in Psalm chapter 68, verse 5, God is a father of the fatherless and a judge or a dayan, uh, which means a defender or an advocate of the widows. God is a defender. God is an advocate of widows. God is on the side of the widow. So you don't want to be on the opposite side. Okay? Enough said on that, I hope. The second one, they are under his special care and protection. Exodus 22, Deuteronomy 10 Proverbs 15:25 and Psalm 146:9 God uh, widows and actually widows and orphan both are under God's special protection. Now one one quick note about our our culture today in this passage is speaking about widows who who do not have a husband to help support them. In our culture today some of the same things that are said about widows could be said about single moms. They're still in a very helpless position. And God takes care of those who are helpless, and especially those who recognize their helplessness and turn to him for the solution to their problems. And the third thing that we see with regard to the scriptures and widows is that he blesses those who help and honor them. You want to get on God's side? Then get on, then get on the side of the widow and the orphan. You help a widow or an orphan, and he's going to bless you. Now, that's not a bad deal. Now, we shouldn't have to have number three in order to do the other ones, but that's, that's the way God works. If you do his work for him, or if he works his work through you, then he's going to bless you and he's going to honor you. The fourth thing that we learn from scriptures is he rebukes and punishes those who hurt them. You're starting to get an idea, a, a framework of how God feels about those who are helpless, or in, in, in amongst the most helpless position in society. And widows are amongst the most helpless in society, even today. And uh, single moms are amongst the most helpless in society, even today. And God is going to bless you if you help them, and he's going to rebuke you and punish you if you don't. You get in the picture. The fifth thing that the scriptures tell us is that they are objects of Christ's tender mercies, his tender compassion, as is clear from all the Gospels, but especially from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, chapter 18, chapter 20, and chapter 21. Luke has much to say about how we as individuals should treat widows and how the church should treat them as well. They are objects of Christ's tender compassion. If you are Christ's representative, then shouldn't they be objects of your tender compassion as well? If you are Christ's representatives, shouldn't they be objects of your tender compassion as well? Yes, they should. Now, the same things that we say here for widows, 
in terms of applying the principle of the situation. could be said for widowers as well. Widowers who are in a position of helplessness, perhaps from some infirmity or, or, or whatever reason. This passage is, is context-specific, and if we were to use some, some terms that Elliot Johnson taught both Paul and I in, in some of our hermeneutic studies, when we, when we speak of meaning, we're, we're talking about strict context with widows. But when we broaden it to significance, the significance is all those who are helpless, all those who need help. And John makes that clear, the Holy Spirit makes it clear through John in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So the church has a responsibility to care for anyone in need who cannot meet that need. Now remember I said cannot meet the need, not will not. Okay, here's, here's part of the dicey thing. The church has a responsibility to help meet the need of anyone who cannot meet that need. Now the scriptures also say if a man won't work, he ought not to eat. Now, there are plenty of men that want to work that can't, either through some disability or because the job market just won't, won't uh, bear it and that do everything they can to find it. And they are certainly worthy of help. But laziness, laziness is not a virtue. And the Proverbs make that extremely clear. So the church has a responsibility to care for anyone in need who cannot meet that need. But ordinarily, that care is going to be on a temporary basis. You know, they're, they're going through a tough time. The church helps them out. And, uh, and then uh, they get over that, and then that need is not a permanent need. By the way, whenever that help comes, it should always come uh, or, uh, as anonymously as possible. As anonymously as possible. You never, ever bring somebody up in front of the church and perform a benevolent act in front of everybody. That is so low class that God's not going to honor that. You do benevolent work privately quietly and as anonymously as possible. God knows who gave it. The whole church, you don't need to bring somebody up in front of the church and say, here, we're going to help you. You know, that's, uh, all that does is hurt. It, it really hurts. So that's why you don't see us do that there. There's a tremendous, and I, and I, I not, I'm not brag, I just tell you, there's a tremendous amount of benevolent work that goes on here at this church. Individuals and the church corporately, and you seldom hear about it, do you? And I, that's good. I don't want you to hear about it. Because that's the, the, the responsibility is being met. It doesn't need to be trumpeted. But what's being discussed here is not that short-term support that someone may need if they're out of work or uh, you know, just had a new child and they're a young couple they can't you know, do. That's not what's being discussed here. This is long-term support that Paul is discussing in this passage. Permanent support, if you will. And if the widow is to receive full-time support or permanent support from the local church, the woman must be walking consistently in fellowship with God, as opposed to living a life that is characterized by carnality. The woman must be living in, this, in, in consistency with her ambassadorship for Jesus Christ and her priesthood as well, both internals and externals, if she is to receive permanent help from the church. And the, 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 it's, it's not the church, it's God's money that is being filtered through the church or being administrated through the church. So in the same way that a church should not give money to someone that we know will turn around and spend it on drugs. We are not going to give money to somebody that we know is going to turn around and spend it on drugs. Support should not be given to a widow who is sexually promiscuous, according to this passage. We're not, just not going to do it because that would be supporting the drug habit. And it would also be supporting the sexual promiscuity. And so the church is not to do that with God's money. 
There have been times in the past where I had to say no to, to, to uh, individual or individuals who have come to me and wanted consistent support because I found out that they were using the money not to pay their bills but to buy alcohol in one situation and to buy crack cocaine in the other one. And, you know, shame on me the first time, if I'm the administrator of that, if I'm the steward, if I'm the one that has to be the point man in that, shame on me for getting fooled the first time, but I'm not going to get fooled the second time. You know, and, and it's a hard thing to do to, to, to tell a man, no, I can't, the, the church is not going to help you. I'm not going to help you buy alcohol. We'll help you pay the rent, but we're not going to pay the rent so that you can buy alcohol with the rent money. You see? These decisions are difficult. And so tender mercy and compassion has to be exercised along with a, a term that we'll see in a minute, spiritual wisdom. Spiritual wisdom. The church's money is God's money, and God does not spend his money to encourage sin. So these are, I told you these were dicey issues. I told you this is, we, we don't skip the dicey passages, and that's what this passage is all about. So honor widows. This is where we were last week. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if anyone who has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family. This is the children or grandchildren that need to practice piety. They need to take care of mom or they need to take care of grandma. And yes, that means you may not be able to buy the new Armani suit. Maybe you may have to wear a suit from Macy's instead. But, but take care of your family. That suit is going to wear out. God is not going to forget. And remember what I told you before. He blesses those who help and honor Honor those who are in need, as particularly widows. He rebukes and punishes those who hurt them. Okay? Use the resources that God gives us and the time that he gives us and the energy that he gives us wisely. So children and grandchildren should participate. This is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed, now this describes her, who has been left alone and has fixed her hope on God. Jesus Christ is preeminent in her life, not just important not just prominent, continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. A widow may not be able to work, but that doesn't mean she can't serve. You know, a lot of the best praying in the Christian community takes place in nursing homes by people who are flat on their back and they can't do anything else. I had a lady by the name of Gloria Toller. Everybody's got their Gloria Tollers. You remember her? Uh, May, what was May's last name? It, May Walker. Chuck Swindoll had his May Walker. And he, he's mentioned her on the radio several times that May prayed him through seminary. Well, Gloria Toller prayed me through seminary. And I had the privilege of doing her memorial service when she went on to be with the Lord. Several of you were, were there at that service. It was an honor to do that. Uh, she had cancer. She was in an incredible amount of pain. But she prayed for me up until the very end. She was praying for me doing her memorial service. You know, that I would be led by the Spirit, that I would be able to give it. That's, now, that's the kind of people that you need. Now, she wasn't a widow, um, but, but she was not able to do anything else. And, and, and so a, a widow should. If they're not employed, they, they should have time to spend, spend uh, quite a bit of time in prayer. Uh, but she who gives herself to wanton pleasure. Now, this, is, this phrase is... Um, it's directed towards sexual pleasure, ordinarily, is dead even while she lives. She's spiritually dead, not in the sense of having lost her salvation, but she's dead in the sense of having lost her walk with God. Uh, i just pause and say I'm not going to go any further than, than, than the, just this one little tidbit. I've seen this happen. I've, I've seen it happen, and it is so tragic that, that sometimes... Uh, 
and this passage is about widows, so I'll just stay in, in context, but, but I know of widows who so grieved the loss of their husband that they dealt with the loss of their husband by jumping right back into some relationships that ought not to have been. That's not the way to handle your grief. And I tell you this before you lose your husband. Now, some of those who have lost their husbands here that are fine, uh, incredible women of God would, would echo this, and I'm sure tell you the same thing privately. But that's no way to handle the grief. Alcohol, drugs, that's not a way to handle the grief. Uh, posting your name on a singles website is, is not the way to handle the grief. It's, it's not going to make up for the void that you're missing from that one that you've loved for so long. That will not make up the void. There is one person that can make that void up, that can fill that vacuum, and that's Jesus Christ. First and foremost, turn to him. Let him fill up that vacuum that's in your life. No, no matter what the situation, let, let him fill that loneliness. And then at the right time, if it be his will, then he'll bring somebody to you. But he's not going to bring somebody to you when that vacuum has not been filled by him first. Now, somebody might come. But I'd be very, very cautious as to whether God's the one bringing them. Okay, well, that's, uh, that's all I'll say about that. Uh, but if anybody in verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 7, prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. Same word we had when we were dealing with the elders before. Not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Jesus Christ is the only one that lived in, in perfection, but consistently walking in fellowship with God. That's what this passage means here and also what it meant with the elders. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an, than an unbeliever. Remember this word household was used of the church uh, in, 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 in 315. But in, in case I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. So it, it could be when, when Paul says here, if anyone does not, does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, we're talking about the immediate uh, family and also the church family as well. This is your family, whether you like it or not. It, it is. The people sitting next to you are your brothers and sisters. Now, the entire Christian community is your brother and, are your brothers and sisters as well, but this is a special group, and, and we need to act like it. We need to, we need to be cheerful when, when others succeed. We need to grieve when they grieve. And that's painful. It's okay. It's, it's, it's fun to, to rejoice when they rejoice, but we need to grieve when they grieve, and when they need help, we need to give it to them. It's part of being in the family. I wouldn't give you, give you a, I wouldn't give you, I said a fixed hand nickel, I wouldn't give you anything, nothing, for a family member that had the resources and then didn't help another member of their family out when they needed it. I would give you nothing for them. And by the way, neither would God, because he rebukes and, and punishes those who would hurt them. If you want to write the passages down, Ezekiel, uh, Exodus 22, Deuteronomy 24, 27, Zechariah 7, it, the list is this long. Don't mess with the helpless. And again, there's a difference between the helpless and those who refuse to work, or that can work but that don't. There's a big difference. This is where we finished again last time. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty bad. Now in verse 9, verses 9 and following, are, uh, as we pick this up today, let a widow be put on the list, and then there's going to be a, a, uh, a series of qualifications. So evidently, the Ephesian church had a list that they kept for purposes of organization. And that's good. Churches ought to be organized. It, things should not be done in a haphazard way. And um, that's the responsibility of those who have administrative gifts to handle that. They had a list of those who are widows indeed. Those who 
had fulfilled what was in verse 5. But now there are at least three more qualifications that have to be met before she gets on the permanent list. Now watch this. Let's don't get so so um, uh, hyper-legalistic with this that we don't see the principle that Paul is teaching. But there are three things that she must meet to get on the permanent list. Not to receive any help at all, but to receive permanent help. She had to be at least 60 years old. Now, 60 was the age in antiquity. Now, this is antiquity. Uh, when a woman or a man became an old man or an old woman. Sorry, that was the age. Now, 60 is the new 30, right? Are we gonna, we're going to back it up. We're backing it up a little bit. It was 50. Last week it was 50 is the new 30. This week it's going to be 60 is the new 30. 70, I don't know. <laughs> Can't help you there. But the, anyway, 60 was the, the recognized age in antiquity when either a man or woman was considered to be a senior. Now today the age is because of advanced medical care and, and so forth. The, the, the typical age is, is, is beyond that. But at this age, and especially in that culture, at, at age 60 plus, in that culture, most widows became incapable of providing for their own needs. And most would no longer have the opportunity to remarry. At least in that culture, they couldn't provide for their own needs. Unless, and we're talking about those who were widows indeed, those who didn't have anybody to take care of them now. If there's somebody to take care of them, all, this, all bets are off. And we're not talking about that. Or if they can take care of themselves. We're talking about those who are widows indeed. So they, they probably can't work. They probably can't remarry. And... And so uh, uh, this is why they were put on the list. Now, this, again, shouldn't be misunderstood as prohibiting a church or individuals from helping a widow who is less than 60. Not at all. That's not what this means. This list was presumably a list for permanent support. You see what, you see what the passage is talking about? A list that from this point out, we need to budget our resources in our church because we're, gonna have to t- we're not going to have to. We're going to be privileged to take care of her until the day she dies. Okay, that's, that's what this is talking about. Those widows under 60 who were living a life that glorified God, that were consistently walking in fellowship with him, and had no family to step in, surely would be eligible for support. But the support would not likely be permanent. As many, if not most, younger widows were likely to remarry. More on that in just a minute. The second qualification. She had to be, or she had to have been, a one woman or one man woman. Let a widow be put on the list if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. Well, here we go again, because this is the same phraseology, only in reverse, that we had back in chapter 3 when it came to elders and deacons. And we spent a great deal of time on that qualification in chapter 3. I don't intend to revisit it in a big way here, but whatever view you take out of chapter 3, Whatever view that you take out of chapter 3, when referring to elders, has got to be consistently applied. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. I mean, you you can't apply it one way in chapter 3 and then apply it another way in chapter 5. If you hold that an elder, if you hold, and this is uh, uh, certainly not a, a certainty, but if you hold that an elder can be married as many times as he wants to, just so, long he is, just so long as he's only married to one woman at a time, then the reverse must apply here. You can't have one standard for the elder and another standard for the widows. It's the same terminology, only with the gender reversed. 
the reality is few, very, very few, competent biblical students see it that way. Most, or more, likely it should be understood as meaning what it says. A one man, woman, in other words, married once, with the same possible exceptions that we mentioned in our study of chapter 3. There are times when, when uh, a, a either a woman or a man uh, spouse dies early in life. They have the right to remarry if they handle it appropriately and they remarry it. And they, they remarry someone, then, then, um, then most would make, well, most not would make, most would see an exception here for something like that. And then there, there may be others, but, but, uh, but we need to be very, very careful when we start making the exceptions. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are, but we need to get the rule down first before we start making exceptions to the rule. So she let a widow be put on the list only if she's not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. The third qualification, she had to have established a reputation for good works. Now, he's, he cites five examples here of good works. She had reared her children responsibly, assuming that she had children. Now, she might not have, otherwise she wouldn't be being put on this list in the first place. But if she had, uh, this, uh, they, she had evidenced good works with regard to her duties in the home. It's, it's responsibility of both mother and father to raise the children. But uh, because the mother, under most circumstances, will be spending more time with the children than the father, the mother has a very heavy responsibility with regard to the raising of children. She had to be hospitable. This demonstrated good works in her community. She had humbly served her Christian brothers and sisters. When it says in here, um, having a, good repu- a reputation for good works, if she's brought up children, if she's shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, now, if, uh, washing of the feet uh, is probably a figure of speech for humility in service to the church. Also, she had helped people in special need, which is an example of works to the needy. It's going to be a challenge for her to have always turned down those who are needy, and then when she becomes needy herself, uh, needing help. You see the point. If she has been faithful in her work with the needy, and she has devoted herself to good works. Good works had been an important part of her life and presumably an expression of her faith in Christ. So these things are part of what it takes to have a woman who is uh, eligible put on the list. And again, the list is not any kind of help at all. It's permanent help. Now in verse 11 we have uh, a but. There's, a, there's another category, and Paul has to deal with this. This is also one of the dicey portions of this passage, so I'd ask you to be objective as we go through it. But refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. And at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things that are not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, to bear children, to keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. 
If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, let her assist them, and let not the church be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Now, what about the younger widows? And the younger widows here being younger widows who are under 60. This passage has long been considered difficult for interpretation, and it's been difficult for application as well, because the interpretation is, is a difficult uh, thing. But Paul explains that it is not wise, it is not wise to place younger widows on this permanent list, and then he explains why. Typically, not always, but typically, younger widows sensual desires would be stronger. And these feelings would make it very hard for them to remain committed to serving Christ wholeheartedly as single women. Now, Paul is not prescribing here. He's saying what typically happens. He's, and he's not prescribing that younger widows behave in a, in a sensually inappropriate way. Okay? He's just saying that typically this is very often what happens The difficulty, really, though, is, is what is meant by this phrase, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation, because they have set aside their previous, previous pledge. And, in fact, we could, we could even go back further. They feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ. Now, Paul's not just talking about a hormonal thing. He's not talking about normal physiology. He, he's talking about a lustful pattern. In disregard of Christ. That's, that's a key phrase that sometimes commentators miss when they discuss this passage. So what does it mean that they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they've set aside their previous pledge? Is it wrong? Is it wrong for younger widows to get remarried? Not in principle. No. But it can be wrong. It's not, it's not wrong in principle, but there are circumstances that could be present that would make it wrong. If the motivation for remarriage is carnal living, then there's a problem with that. That kind of mo motivation will rarely, if ever, end up in a marriage that honors God. If the motivation is simply sex, let me just lay it on the table. If the motivation is simply sex, that kind of marriage will rarely, if ever, end up honoring God. That's why, that's why the passage says they feel sexual or sensual desires in disregard of Christ. You know who invented sex? I think we have an all-adult audience tonight. You know who invented sex? God did. Christ is the creator. He invented it. But he also invented ways, he prescribed ways where it could be a wonderful, joyous, beautiful, beautiful thing. That's if it's done within a certain context, and that context being marriage. You get outside that context, something that was beautiful becomes very ugly. Something that was wonderful becomes terrible. It becomes a disaster instead of a blessing. So that's the, these women are functioning outside of the parameters that God has set up. Okay. He's not talking about sex inside of marriage here. I've witnessed this happen. I've witnessed it happen with great sadness as a pastor and a friend. You see people going down this road and you just you talk to them. They, the, people seldom listen when they're in the middle of the battle. That's why I'm telling you now. Because somebody here, I'm serious, somebody here is going to lose their husband. Or is going to lose a wife. The same principle is going to take place. And, 
and that you are, you are going to be very unlikely, you are going to be very unlikely to be able to learn this in the middle of the pain. It's doctrine, doctrinal principles are seldom thoroughly understood and learned in the middle of pain. You need to learn them now so that you can apply them when the pain comes. And for many of you, it's going to come. It might not come for quite a few years down the road. But this is a passage that's going to have very intimate application for many of you at some point in time. So let's be objective. Now, there's a, if that wasn't enough, there's a further revelation that must be factored, that must be factored into this discussion. Again, the discussion is, is it wrong for younger widows to be remarried? And the answer is not in principle it's not wrong. But it can be wrong if the motivation is wrong. Now, Paul talks about it elsewhere in addition in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 39 and 40. He says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord, meaning only another believer. Never to a non-Christian. You should not be unequally yoked. The problems with that are multitude. Paul says, Paul says, but in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Now, Paul is, you might even can tell, he's being a little bit sarcastic with the, with the Corinthian church here. Apparently, other people had come and said, this is what you should do, this is what you should not do, and, and the Spirit told us to tell you that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But Paul says here, I think I too have the Spirit of God. You know, that's the understatement of the millennium, that yes, he had the Spirit of God. What, he is, what he's telling you here is some, some apostolic spiritual wisdom. I told you I'd come back to that. Some apostolic spiritual wisdom. Spiritual wisdom is taking the truths of divine self-revelation and applying them to the particulars of any given situation. That's what wisdom is. That's why James says you can pray for wisdom, and you ought to pray for wisdom. You know what you're praying for? You're praying that God would take the truth that you have in your soul and help you to apply it to a particular circumstance. And that's a promise. You, you pray for that wisdom, he'll help you apply it. Now, what it doesn't say is you can pray for the knowledge. Too many people are doing that today. And they think the Spirit is just going to infuse them with knowledge. Students do that right before tests. You remember that when you were in school? Lord, help me pass this test. And he say, well, you didn't study for the test. You know, I'll help you, to, I'll help you to pull the information out that you have in your soul. You know, but I'm not going to infuse information in there. At least, um, never did for me. <laughs> uh, but I knew better to pray that anyway. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when Paul says that a, a woman is bound to her husband as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. That, again, is the principle. Is it wrong for younger widows to get remarried? No, not in principle. The principle says that it can be done. But in my opinion, she's happier if she remains as she is. Now, almost is going to look like here he's going to contradict it. He's not going to. This is the same apostle. We'll get to it in a second. It's the same apostle that's going to write what follows in 5.14. But here he's exercising apostolic wisdom. This is one of those beautiful places in the Word of God where an apostle speaking for God under the ministry of the Holy Spirit tells us how to apply a doctrine in a particular circumstance. Now, that's beautiful. And we ought to at least we ought to take heart with that. Uh, some people reduce this to an apostolic suggestion. Uh, 
it's more than that. It's not an apostolic prescription because he said that the principle is that the remarriage can take place. But, but an apostolic application of wisdom is you might want to go slow, Lee. You might want to take it slowly and not jump into it. Make sure you're doing it for the right reasons, the right motivations, and you got the right person. And the first thing you can be darn sure it's not the right person if that person's an unbeliever. That's the very first thing you can. That's the very first person you can scratch off the list. And please, this has happened so much. I'm going to stop here and talk about this in three, three minutes. We got one more verse to cover. But listen, if their spiritual life is is not as it should be now, please, please, don't be so insanely stupid if i could use it i I, I, hate to, I hate to use a word that that's that, that that's that ugly but don't be so stupid to think they're going to change after you marry them they are not going to do it not now not ever it's not going to it's not going to happen they're telling you what you want to hear right now so they can marry you and then after they marry you they're going to do what the heck they want to do and i've also seen many people hurt over this Know it going into it. Know it before you ever fall in love with them. If they're an unbeliever, skip it. If they're a believer that's not walking in fellowship with God, skip him. I don't care how good looking he is or how much money he has. Walk the other way as fast as you can go. It's not going to work out. I've seen so many tragedies that, that way. Now, back to the passage in Corinthians. There are many reasons why a woman would remarry after the death of a beloved spouse. And again, I joked last week, but I guess it's a reality, so I better lay it on the table. Uh, some, sometimes people this, are in marriages where the spouse is not beloved. I know that. And it's almost a relief when they die. And I know that. We're not talking about that. Remember the last word, last time the word for widowed meant grieved? You know, grieved because of a loss? We're talking about that kind of person right now. There are many reasons why... A woman that's in that state might want to remarry after the death of a beloved spouse. Emotional factors are present as well as the reality of financial uh, issues. And I would advise, along with the Apostle Paul, that you exercise caution, patience, and prudence. And if I could be so bold, I too think I have the Spirit of God. (laughs) But not in the same way the Apostle did as he wrote it down. But, But I just, please, exercise patience. The phrase, then, because they have set aside their previous pledge, is probably the most difficult in this whole passage for interpretation. There, are, if, you look, if you look in the commentary tradition, they're all over the map as to what that could mean. One thing that it could mean, and again, I'm in, this, uh, I'm in verse 12, thus incurring condemnation because they've set aside their previous pledge. It, it could mean the pledge of marriage to the first husband, to the beloved husband. But that's unlikely as Paul has already said, that the marriage bond ends at the death of a spouse. A woman is free to remarry, although she's not obligated to remarry. Sometimes family members and friends act like she's obligated to remarry. If she wants to remain single, let her remain single. Let her take her love from the Lord. Let, her, let the Lord fill that void up in her life. Now, yeah, you need to come alongside and be a friend and be a help, but don't force her. She's free to remarry, but she's not obligated to remarry. Now, some hold that the pledge that is mentioned here is a pledge to the church for service. So she gave a pledge to the church for service as a younger widow. She couldn't meet that pledge. 
So that, that's the, the faith that's been violated. That seems a bit weak, frankly. But in the strict context, the problem is that these younger widows have allowed sensual desires to be the ruling factor in their lives. And that's what incurs the condemnation. So when in doubt, it's nice to look at the context. It's, it's nice to look at the verse itself. But refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ. In disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. So the pledge broken then here is a, is a pledge to God. It's a pledge to God for faithfulness and to walk in fellowship with him. So it's a difficult um, passage for interpretation, but that's my view, that the pledge that is being broken is not to the church, it's not to the first husband, but it's to God himself. Now one thing that we know, though, is the condemnation that is spoken of here is not a loss of eternal life. That, that can never happen. We've studied that thoroughly, I believe. But it's a loss of reward at the judgment seat of Christ, and perhaps in view of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, it's a loss of happiness now. You see how I would have come up with that? It's a loss of reward at the judgment seat of Christ, but in view of him saying that I believe you're going to be happy if you stay in your current state, it's a loss of happiness now. Now, they, there are when you get into sexual decline, it usually doesn't stop there. There are other sins that go along with it. They, they tend to be idle, and because they're idle, they have more time to go mind everybody else's business. You love people like that? I sure do. I, I just can't wait to answer the phone. Somebody trying to mind my business for me. And I'll, you know, if, if you want to get me to pray in for you that you'll have something to do, just go ahead and start minding my business, and I'll be praying that you'll have something to do besides watch me the whole time. But they go around from house to house, not merely as idle, but gossips and busybodies. And the, the Bible doesn't speak well of gossips and busybodies. We're about out of time today, so I can't dwell there. <laughs> but uh, read it. You'll find out. Talking about things that are not proper to mention, I thought that was only guys did that. <laughs> Apparently, idle, busybody, younger widows who are, who are so wrapped up in their uh, sensual desires and disregard of Christ do it too. The problem is they, do it, they don't do it in a vacuum. They're doing it with somebody else. They're pulling somebody else down with them, you see. So he says, therefore, I want younger widows to get married, to bear children, to keep house, to give the enemy no occasion for reproach. The point is, if they... If they cannot live in a, in a situation where they're walking in fellowship with God, if they are overwhelmed with their sensual desires, it is better for them to, to, to exercise that within the bounds of marriage. That's not, he, he in no way is fortunate that. He would be contradicting what he had said in 1 Corinthians 7. But he's saying if, if you're going to participate outside of, of the bounds that God set up, if you're going to go around being an idle, gossip, and busybody, minding everybody else's business, talking in a way you ought not to talk, you know, pulling other people down with you, then yes, get married, have children, uh, keep house, give the enemy no cause for reproach. In other words, you're not going to have any time to go around being an idle, busybody. If you've got kids, you're keeping house. Amen to that, right? Amen. Amen. All right, couple on the front row. Amen there. <laughs> We're not Baptists, but every now and then it makes me feel good to hear an amen. All right, there you go. So it's not wise to place younger widows on the list in a permanent way until the church can see uh, what's going on there. I, I would, would hold that if a younger widow is, is living in a, in a way where she's walking in fellowship with God and has done so consistently, there's no reason why a church shouldn't help her. No reason whatsoever, because she's a, she's a person that's in need. 
whether she's over 60 or under 60. You know, all kidding aside, sometimes the ages may shift culturally, but we're talking about someone who would probably be eventually remarried or one that probably would, would not. So in view of all this, Paul encourages younger widows to remarry. In the ancient culture, most people expected that a widow would remarry. In fact, I think in our culture today, probably half the culture expects. I think the other half doesn't. But if they're going to fall prey to carnality, younger widows should remarry, should use their strength to bear children, and to care for their families, which, again, are the primary duties of a typical Christian wife. doesn't say the Christian wife can't work outside the home, but her primary duties are to take care of the, of the family. And in doing so, you're not going to give the enemy cause to insult Christianity because of the poor ambassadorship of a promiscuous widow. All these things, again, can be applied to men, but the passage is about the women. Did he mean that every young widow, in conclusion, did he he mean that every young widow, perhaps every young woman, should get married and bear children? No, that's not what he's saying. This was the typical role of a young woman in Paul's day, and is still fairly typical worldwide today. In conclusion, at the, in the very last verse, and if you'll allow me just two, two more minutes, we'll finish this section up so we can get the elders. Next time we'll get off the widows, and some of you will go amen to that, and some want to stay on it for a while. But we'll get the elders next time, and, and uh, I, I suspect I'll have your attention every bit as good as I have tonight when we get to how to discipline an elder, how to discipline a pastor. But, um, and you know what? I just realized I'm not going to be here next week. So... Uh, just kidding. Just kidding. I'll be here next week. Um, but Paul, Paul in, the, in the last verse, just, just listen carefully and we'll close up. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, let her assist them. So not, not just the church, but individuals as well. And let not the church be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. So if there's a possibility, even if you're not family, if, if you've got the financial resources to step in and help somebody out, you know that's okay too. You don't have to. You don't have to wait for somebody else to do it. Now, I think perhaps that there would probably be a lot more uh, compassion shown if, if, uh, and I'm not being political, but I'm just being uh, making an observation. If our government wouldn't have stepped in and 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 forced that situation where they're going to take care of everybody, you know, it's it's a bad use of money. They'd be a whole lot better off letting people keep it, let them give to the church, and have the church administer it on a, on a need basis where the church really knows there would be a lot less fraud uh, that, that would take place. But ha- that being said, uh, believers should show love and concern and do all they can to help one another. So there are three words that I'll leave you with as we close this passage. And they're the terms respect, compassion, and responsibility. Individuals and churches should show respect to those who are uh, in need and walking in fellowship with God. They should show compassion, and they should also fulfill their responsibility to do so. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this divine self-revelation and and the, the prescriptions that you've given us here. We thank you for the apostolic wisdom that Paul has given us as well. And Father, help us to apply these truths that, that sometimes are difficult. Sometimes there is subjectivity in how they should be applied. But, but give us the wisdom that we need to look at situations of those who are in need, both as individuals and as a church, and to meet that need as you have prescribed for us. Father, we, we would want to be 
blessed. We, we would want to, to be blessed and not rebuked and punished. So help us to fulfill this in a way that would glorify you and please you, and we'll ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.